I kind of want to go with them. They look like they're excited about going. You guys will take your Bible and turn to Luke 16. So my name is Brian Lowe. I'm one of the pastors at Exodus Church in Belmont, North Carolina, which is just outside Charlotte. Um, been married to Cheryl for 27 years. Uh, we got four kids that are uh, 24 to 17. Uh, so we're in that stage of parenting. And if you're hoping that it gets easier, it doesn't. Uh, it just gets a different kind of hard. Um, I, I also get the privilege of coaching church leaders uh, through a ministry called Not In Vain Coaching, and I'm really grateful to be with you today. I, I really love this church. I've, I've had the privilege of watching Riverside grow and develop and, and, and be a place that really honors the Lord. Uh, it's such a privilege to be with you today and to hear you sing and to see you love one another. Uh, and, and I want you to know that God is using your church, not just in your life and not just in this community, uh, but all around the Southeast and the world. God uses this church in the way uh, that James cares for other pastors and the way you plant churches. And, and I just want you to know that God is doing something good and unique here uh, that you get to be a part of. And, and I, I'm really grateful to get to be with you today. I, I really love James and Stacy. I, I count them as dear friends. They, they are just super great folks, I love them. Uh, they're so thoughtful and wise and kind, and, and I've had the privilege of knowing them for several years. I'm also really glad that your church does sabbaticals for pastors, I, I think that's so good. Pastors have a job that is unique, and unless you've been a pastor, it's really hard for you to understand the challenges that pastors face. Uh, statistics tell us that every month, 1,500 pastors leave the ministry for moral failure, spiritual burnout, or conflict in the church. 1,500, that's 500 a day. Now, none of those three things apply to James, but what I want you to know is that being a pastor is really hard. Now, James would never say that to you on a Sunday because pastors don't say that to their own people, so I'll say it for him today. Being a pastor is hard. We had a guy on our staff, we stole him from Bank of America for seven years, he was our executive pastor. And about three years in, I asked him, I said, man, look, I don't want to gripe or complain. I have the privilege of doing what I do. But just kind of talk to me about the difference in the stress level between the bank and the church. He said, oh, it's not even close. And I thought he was going to say the bank was worse. Um, he said, it's not even close. I said, what do you mean? He said, every decision I make here at the church affects my family it affects my wife and her friends. It affects my kids and their friends. It affects me and my friends. I can make decisions at the bank and drive home and never have to think about it. And he said, he said There's not, it's not even close to the stress level that I carry here as part of our staff. And so thank you for giving James a sabbatical. And I, I'm confident that God's going to use that so that he can return with a renewed energy to serve Jesus here so that he can continue to flourish and thrive as he serves you. Now, when James called me to ask to preach, it was a quick yes, just because I love him so much. I asked him, I said, well, tell me what passage, what passage will I do? He said, oh, I'll send it to you. I said, okay, great. Um, so some of you have read it already. <laughs> so I, I started reading the passage, and it's a little complicated. Um, in fact, one commentator said this about the passage. This is probably the hardest parable in Luke. Now, I sent that to James in a, in a picture. I texted it to him, and his only response was the little ha-ha thing that you do on a text message. I was like, bro, really? Really? And then the passage is about money. Isn't that a blessing? You know? Visiting God gets to talk about money. 
for, for a Sunday. We get so nervous when we talk about money. For some of us, money is so stressful, you know? Uh, we, 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 we're living our life, and it always seems like there's more month at the end of the money, and it just feels like it's really hard to manage. For some of us, um, money creates a lot of shame because of mistakes we've made in the past or things that we've done that we regret. For some of us, money is all about comparison. We see, we see others and the life they have, and so we get jealous or we get judgmental. We can also get really nervous when pastors talk about money. Uh, maybe you've seen abuses in churches. I have. Uh, maybe you've heard of pastors who are more interested in fundraising than they were about feeding their flock, and, and it felt like every Sunday was another reason to raise money. Or maybe you feel like it's self-seeking since pastors are paid from the money that's given. A long, long time ago, I was at a church, and I'd been saving up for something, and I finally bought it, and I was showing it to a friend, and, and, and the response I got was, well, I guess I paid for that. I guess you did. I, I really don't know how to respond to that, that comment. So, so the passage is the most difficult parable in Luke, and it's about money. And then I found out y'all aren't even going in order, right? Like he, he intentionally gave me this passage. So thanks, James. I'm really glad to be here today. I, and I am. I am. I'm, there are some tremendous things in the passage that I'm hopeful that God's going to help us understand. And I'm really looking forward to walking through it with you. Our big idea from the passage today is going to be this, that our relationship to earthly money is an indicator of our relationship to eternal matters. I'll say that again. Our relationship to earthly money is an indicator of our relationship to eternal matters. Maybe that's why Jesus talks so much about money. One writer said this, Jesus said more about money than any other single thing because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All throughout scripture, he writes, there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. And so our relationship to earthly money is an indicator of our relationship to eternal matters. I want us to see that in our passage today. And so I'm gonna read it, and then I'm gonna pray, and then we'll jump into what God's word says, uh, starting in verse one of Luke 16. He also said to, his, to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred denarii. 100 denarii, I'm so sorry, 100 measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down, and quickly write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little 
is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we are so grateful for your word. Thank you for the parts of your word that make us uh, think and dig and question and wonder and discover and learn. Uh, Lord, thank you for the parts of your word that are really, really clear and very easy for us to understand. And so, Lord, as we engage both parts of that, uh, both, both types today as we study this passage, would you help us see? Would you help us see wonderful things from your word? So we're going to need you to give us eyes that see today. Would you help us hear from your word? Help us hear what, what we need to learn and what, what, what we need to uh, confess. Lord, help us hear from your spirit as we look at your word. And Lord, then give us hearts that are receptive, particularly around a topic like money. Give us hearts that are receptive to and obedient to what your word tells us today. So uh, meet with us, Lord. We, we gather here to meet with you. We love each other, but we gather here to meet with you. And so would you meet with us through your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We have two points today, okay? The parable and the point. All right, let's start with the parable. So that's in verses 1 to 8. Jesus tells a story. It says in verse 1, he also said to his disciples. So what we see here is that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Now verse 14, which is outside of our passage, tells us that the Pharisees were still kind of hanging around. And that also indicates that he is immediately following the parables of Luke 15. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples. The scribes and Pharisees are listening. And it's interesting that Jesus, that uh, as Luke says, he also said Jesus is connecting this parable about financial stewardship to the previous parable about the prodigal who squandered his father's money with loose living. So Jesus follows the prodigal with this parable about a dishonest manager. There are two main characters in the parable. The first is a rich man. It says, there was a rich man who also had a manager. Now, this rich man, we don't know how wealthy he was, but he was wealthy enough to have someone who had to manage his wealth. He's also wealthy enough to take a significant hit financially that we're going to see later in the parable. So we don't know exactly how rich he was, but we know that he was a very wealthy man. Second main character in the parable is a manager. Now, this manager would be a trusted servant who was given responsibility to steward the rich man's property. Uh, think Alfred on the Batman, okay? That's, that's, who, that's who, thank you for knowing who that is. That, that helps me feel better about life. So, um, so this manager was uh, acted as the agent for the rich man and had full authority to transact business. So what this manager was managing was not the manager's. You understand that? Like, he was responsible for stewarding the property of another, namely the rich man. Now, we see early on that he's not doing a good job. Look at the rest of verse 1. It says, And charges were brought to him 
that this man was wasting his possessions. So charges were brought to the rich man that the manager was wasting his possessions. Now that word wasting is the same word used in Luke 15 where the prodigal squandered his father's money. Same word. And so the, the manager was wasting the rich man's possessions, and so the rich man fires him, it says. It says in verse uh, 2, And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Now, here's what that would mean for the manager. Not only does he lose his job, but because he was managing rich man's property, it probably meant he also lost his place to live and his food to eat. So he is about to lose everything, and he realizes that. So he develops a plan in verse 3. Look at that with me. It says, And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. So he's a white-collar guy. He's like, Look, I, I can't dig. I'm, I'm too proud to beg. I'm not doing that. So I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So notice, he's, he's a thoughtful person. He thinks about this. He says, look, okay, I need to use my money and my connections so that I can find a place to live. And what this shows us is that this manager is not incompetent, He's just unfaithful. Like when he needed a good plan, he found a good plan and he executed it. But what he had been was unfaithful with the master's property, with the rich man's property. He had the skills, he just wasn't faithful. So he puts this plan into motion in verse 5. It says, so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. So he got a 50% discount. That's not bad, right? Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a um, hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. So he got a 20% discount. Now scholars tell us that this would probably have totaled about 500 denarii. Now a denarii is a day's a day wage day's wage, sorry, and so that would equal about 20 months of income. That's a hit, okay? That's a hit not to the manager, but to the rich man. Now, there's been a lot of conversation about uh, exactly what was going on with these discounts, what, what's happening here. Uh, two primary options. One is that the, mas the manager is knocking off his commission, but that's a hefty commission on the oil. 50%, that's hefty. Okay, uh, the manager, another option is that he's reducing the bill to provide a sudden influx of cash for the rich man. Okay, lots, of, lots has been written about that. We don't exactly know, and it's, it's a story, okay? So the, the goal is not to figure out each little individual part. The goal is to kind of understand the story, all right? I also don't think these were the only two debtors that the rich man had. Uh, Jesus is just telling the story, and he wants us to kind of get a feel for this manager. Well, then Jesus gives the punchline of the parable in verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, notice, he's still dishonest. He's still dishonest, but he's shrewd. What does that mean? What does it mean that he's shrewd? 
What it means is that he's using present money and connections for future need. He's wise, he's thoughtful, and, and when, he, when, when, the, when the problem was there, when he was faced with an issue, he used present money for future need. So we have this story. He's a shrewd manager. He got fired for not doing his job well. He was dishonest. He was wasteful. He's facing desperation, and he thinks, when I'm not a manager, I'm going to need a place to live, so I'm going to use what I can, my money and connections now, so that then I have a place to stay, and the master commends him for it. Now, to be clear, the master is not commending his dishonesty or his wastefulness, but he's commending his shrewdness in the parable. Then the parable comes to an end. And then from verses, the rest of verse 8 to 13, Jesus is going to explain and apply the parable to our lives. Which brings us to the point, which should be the points, plural, because there's three of them, all right? Three of them. First, Jesus tells us to be shrewd. Be shrewd. Now, that, that's not something you expect to hear at church, is it? Like, you should be shrewd for the glory of God. Like, that, that's not, we don't typically list that on our Christian qualities, but that is what Jesus says. Look at verse 8. It says, The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails... They may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Jesus says, be like this guy. Now, we're not, we're not, as you're reading the story, right, you're not expecting that. You're not expecting Jesus to go, hey, the guy that was dishonest and wasteful, be like him. But that's what he says. He says to be shrewd. Notice in verse 8. He says the sons of this world, those would be people who are not yet following Jesus. And then you have the sons of light, those would be people who are following Jesus. Notice they're sons, not managers now. I think that's interesting. And he says the sons of this world are more shrewd. They are more thoughtful. They are more wise. They are more intentional with present money for future need. Jesus says that. That the sons of this world are, are more shrewd than the sons of light. Then he tells his disciples what to do in verse 9. He says, and I tell you. Now this is a solemn expression where Jesus is trying to get their attention. It would be, be like me going, hey, are you guys with me? Some of you just are now, which is good. Like, are you with me, Jesus is saying. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves. Develop relationships with those who can help you. Make friends for yourselves with unrighteous, uh, by means of unrighteous wealth. Now, uh, a lot has been written about whether this is actually unrighteous wealth or is, if the word is being used uh, to describe like earthly money as opposed to eternal things, right? Um, so so the, the, I don't think what Jesus is saying is that the disciples have some unrighteous money, okay? I don't think he's saying, hey, take that money y'all earned on a on the, in a bad way. And, and use it. Now, that's not what he's saying. He's, he's trying to distinguish earthly and eternal. And so he says, take for yourselves unrighteous wealth, make friends with people who, uh, make friends with those who can help you. Why? 
so that when it fails, when what fails? When money fails. And what we need to understand and know is that money is going to fail. Like every promise money makes to you. Every promise money makes. The lie that money is all you need. The lie that more money is the answer to your problems. The, the lie that if you have what you think you want, you'll finally be happy. All of those are lies that money tells us. You ask lottery winners. When you get home, don't do it while I'm preaching, but when you get home, you Google stories of lottery winners. I think the Powerball is like $426 million right now. Like if you, not that I play the lottery, okay? <laughs> I read that somewhere because I was, yeah. For real, for real, I don't. Play the lottery, give God a chance, right? Like, I, I, uh, I don't do that. But, but if you Google stories of lottery winners, you'll find that the, like 99% of them are in a worse spot after they win. Pro athletes, pro athletes. Just, just um, man, there's so many story after story after story, and there's, and there's so much there. They're like, there's so many layers to that problem, but story after story after story of people who made millions of dollars and, and have zero now, or less than zero. The lie that money tells us is that money is all you need. And Jesus says, when it fails. He doesn't say if. He says when. If we trust the lies of money, it will fail us every time. Every single time. And Jesus says, when it does, we need eternal friends that can welcome us into eternal dwellings because he says there in verse 9 when it fails they that's the friends you've made they may receive you into the eternal dwellings now this is when I texted James and said what what is going on why are you assigning me this right because this verse is tough what's Jesus saying here well let me tell you what he's not saying okay he's not saying that you buy your way into heaven He's not saying that we earn our way into eternity. He's not saying that only wealthy people who manage money well go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. Jesus, uh, the, the Bible is very, very clear that the way you and I get into eternity, get to, into an eternal dwelling, to use this word, is that, is that Jesus Christ came to earth. Because though, though we are created in the image of God, that you and I have wasted what God has given to us. We have wasted what belongs to God. We've wasted our lives. We've wasted our breath. We've wasted our money. And the Bible word for all that wasting is sin. And every one of us have done that. Man, such, such beautiful children being dedicated up here today. I mean, just, just precious little sinners, <laughs> right? They are, and they're being raised by sinners and, and being led in churches by sinners. That's what we are. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have, all of us have. And so God, but the good news is that God loves sinners. 
And he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die in our place so that we could belong to God. So that when we place our faith and hope in him, not in money, when we place our faith and hope in him, we might be saved. And so what, what is going on here about making friends with money and so that when it fails, they can receive us into eternal dwellings? Here's what one writer said. He said this, we need friends who outlive our wealth. In fact, we need friends who outlive our world. These need to be friends who can welcome us into eternal dwellings. They need to be friends who can give us homes with them that last forever. Who can do that? He writes. Only God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, he says. And so what does he mean? What is Jesus saying? Make friends with God with our money? What, what he's saying here, if we connect it back to the parable, what he's saying is that we need to use earthly money with eternity in mind. So we're not earning something from God, but, but we are expressing something from God. That, that when we are saved by grace through faith, something changes in our heart about how we view money. And he calls us to be shrewd with our money, to think today with our money about eternity. So he calls us to be shrewd, to serve God with earthly money, to honor God with earthly money. Not to earn something, but to express something. So he wants us to be shrewd. What did you learn at church today? Well, we're to be shrewd. Second, we're to be faithful. Look at verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Jesus calls us to be faithful, not skilled, not successful, faithful, faithful. And, and we're to be faithful regardless of the amount we have. In fact, Jesus says, he's not, he's not questioning this, he says, if you're faithful in little, you're going to be faithful in much. So if you're faithful with $100, you're going to be faithful with $100,000, which reminds us that more is rarely the answer to our money problem. Faithfulness is the answer to our money problem. And Jesus goes on in verse 11. He says, If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with more, excuse me, who will entrust to you the true riches? Jesus is saying, Look, if you're not, if you're not faithful with earthly things, who should entrust you with eternal things? Like if we're not faithful with our money, why should we be entrusted with God's people? I think that's one of the reasons in 1 Timothy 3, Paul tells uh, Timothy that an elder is to manage his home well. He's to manage his home well. This, this verse right here. Jesus calls us to be faithful. And he calls us to be faithful because we are managing what is not our own, verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? We need to understand that we're not owners, that we don't own anything. You know, we can get tricked into thinking we own things. You know, we, we own a house, which means the bank lets us live there, right? For 30 years, if we keep making payments. Um, 
we, we are not owners. We are stewards. Everything we have belongs to God. Everything. Everything you own. Everything. Your money. Every single thing belongs to God. And we are to treat it like it's his. And we're to steward it like it's his. We're to be faithful. When I was in college, I was working at a church. I was a youth intern or something way down on the org chart. And the, um, the pastor of the church came to me and said, hey, Brian, we're going out of town for vacation. Would love for you to uh, house sit for us while we're away. I said, yeah, that'd be great. Get me out of the dorm uh, and it'd be, it'd be awesome. So I said, yes. So he leaves, uh, he and his family leave to go on vacation and I uh, go to their house to spend, the, spend a few nights there while they are away. Well, during that time, there was this major game, and I don't, it's been a, it's been a long minute, um, so I don't remember exactly what game it was, but I do remember that a bunch of my buddies came over, and we watched the game together. Listen, this was not a rave, okay? We were not spray painting the walls or anything, but we, we had, you know, some fun and some pizza and, and kind of, and the problem with the way they had decorated their house was that there weren't enough chairs to watch the game, so we reorganized their furniture so that we could watch the game. So that night after the game, everybody went home and I, and I uh, went to bed and I thought, I'll clean this up tomorrow. So I get up, eight o'clock class, uh, get to school, I get back. Uh, this is pre-cell phone, if you can imagine, okay? This is pre-cell phone. So I'm driving down the road, I'd make the turn to, uh, and I see their driveway, the garage door's open, and there's their vehicle. And so what I had not told you was that the pastor, he was a pretty, pretty loosey-goosey guy, kind of friendly to everybody. His wife was very particular, <laughs> particularly about her home. And so I pull up, I go to the door, I ring the doorbell, and the pastor opens the door. And uh, he kind of had an understanding look on his face. She was not blessed. <laughs> she was not blessed at all. And I realized what I had done was I had treated her house like it belonged to me. We have been given what is God's to steward. And we are to be faithful. So we're to be shrewd. We're to be faithful. Third point is beware. Okay, that's one word, not two. But I had to do something. Beware. Look at verse 13. Okay? It says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I want you to listen to the absolutes in that verse. You cannot. It doesn't say you will not. It says you cannot. You are unable, Jesus says, you are unable to serve both God and money as your master. No servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And so we need to beware of what money can do in our lives. Now, money is an amazing gift, okay? With money, we can pay bills, we can buy groceries, we can fund memories and experiences for our families. We can be generous. We can pay for college, allegedly. Uh, we, can, we can do something fun. 
We can do a lot of things with money. Money is a great gift. It's a horrible God. And you and I were made to use money and worship God. But what sin so often does is it twists that to where we use God and worship money. And God becomes a means to our end of getting more money. Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. I had lunch with a friend several years ago. He looked across the table at me and he said, I need you to pray for me. I said, what for? He said, I can't stop making money. I said, you know, bro, that's like the opposite of a problem, right? He said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm terrified. He said, I am terrified that I'm going to start loving money. And that's the root of all evil. And it ends in destruction. I said, man, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Because no one can serve two masters. You will either serve one and hate the other or to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, Jesus says. So Jesus says we need to be to beware. Because when we worship money, we're worshiping something that will fail us. So how do you worship money? Like, I don't remember bowing down to my credit card or like, you know, bowing down to a hundred. I mean, I, I don't, I don't do that. I don't sing, you know, oh, oh, great 20. Like I, I don't, we, we don't, how, so how do you worship money? Well, you worship money the same way you worship God. Singing is a way we worship God. Our worship of God is far, is far more um, uh, foundational than that. Our worship of God is far more foundational. The way we worship God is we trust him to deliver us. And the way we worship money is we trust it to deliver us. We, we start to think, if I can just get enough, spend enough, or save enough, then I'll, then I'll feel this sense of deliverance from this thing that I'm trusting in called money. Some of us trust money to give us some sense of identity and status. You have the phrase all over the South, old money. The sense of status that comes from money. Some of us don't have old money, we have new money, and so we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. It's the way we worship money. We trust money to deliver us from the hell we are in. Jesus said, you can't worship God in money. Money's a great gift. It's a horrible God. We've got a young guy in our church, and he, he just hit it, man. He just, he just hit it big, and, and I'm, I'm really proud of his hard work. He's been working really hard, and God's blessed his efforts. And he and I were having coffee a few weeks ago, and he said this. He said, Brian, I've been chasing a number since I was 17 years old. I've been chasing an amount of money since I was 17 years old, and I got it. And he said, and now I don't know what's next. He realized money's a good gift. It's a terrible God. We need to beware. We, we must not worship money. Why would you worship a God that fails when the unfailing God is available? And so we have these three points from Jesus. Be shrewd. Use earthly money for eternal matters. Be faithful. 
What you are with little, you will be with much. Beware, we must not worship money. So how's this hitting your heart today? How's this hitting your heart today? Maybe as, as you think through this passage, you, you, you realize I'm, I'm worshiping my money. I'm trusting what I can buy, what I have. I'm trusting all those things to give me some sense of satisfaction, some sense of security. So often we trust our savings and not our Savior. You've realized I'm trusting something that will fail me instead of the God who never fails. Maybe, maybe you're listening and you realize there are ways I can be more faithful with my money. Maybe you're living above your means. Maybe you're not being faithful to give to the work of the kingdom through your local church. Maybe you're not managing God's money in a way that's faithful. You're treating God's money like your own money. Or maybe you're not thinking about eternity when you spend your money. You're just thinking about right now, right now. You're not thinking about eternity. You're not being shrewd. I wonder how God's speaking to your heart through this parable and this passage. Because here's the deal. There's grace for wasteful managers. Just like there was grace for a prodigal son, there's grace for wasteful managers today. And if you've been wasteful with God's money, all you need to do is repent and return. And, and he's not even far away. He's close. Like, he's right here. You, you, just, you just need to repent and return and say, you know what, God, I, I worship money more than you. I need to repent of that. You know what, God, I've not been faithful in what I have. I've just wanted more. You know, God, I've not been thoughtful for eternity with my earthly money. And, and you, you, just, you just have to repent. There's, there's grace for wasteful managers, just like there's grace for prodigal sons. And thanks be to God, we, we don't simply serve a master, we serve a father, who, who when we repent, he welcomes us home. Because that father that we've wasted all his money, he loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross so that we could be his. And so there's grace to forgive wasteful managers and there's grace to empower faithful ones. And so if you come to God and say, God, I, I, I just need grace today. I need grace to be forgiven because I've blown it. I need grace to grow, because I want to be faithful. There's grace for us today. There's grace. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word that teaches us and trains us and develops us and grows us. Lord, we are, we are, uh, we are people who desire to be shrewd. We are people who desire to be faithful. We are people who desire to worship you and not our money, to not, to not trust in things that fail, but to trust in the one who never does. 
So, Lord, we're going to need grace to do that. God, thank you that you have abundant grace. That your grace is super abundant, overflowing our need. So, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that you are particularly speaking to, who needs a particular grace, whether to forgive or to empower so that they might grow. Lord, I pray that you give them courage to speak to one of the pastors here, to speak to one of the leaders here, to, to speak to a friend that they know walks with you, to say, look, I need help. I need help in this area. Would you help me? Or would you give them grace to be courageous? And would you give them grace to grow? Lord, thank you that you love wasteful, dishonest people like us. Thank you that you change us into faithful people who love you and serve you. We're so grateful for your grace today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.